Wednesday, April 6, 2022. This is Messiah Matters number 382. Passover is almost here. I am freaking pumped. My name is Caleb Haig. <laughs> I'm pumped too for Pesach. Yeah. I'm Rob Van Hoff. Pumped All for right. Pesach. Oh, that would be a good, there's a, something in there. Pumped for, pa- for Pesach. Pesach. A, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a title of something. Somebody can steal that one from us. What's up, everybody in the uh, chat room? Good to have you all here. I know my camera angle is different, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping, Rob, that next week, next week, my camera angle will be even even more different. I, that's not what I'm noticing. I'm not, those are some, that's a nice, like a, is that a hoodie? It's like a partial button-up hoodie. Yeah, I, I use this as a shirt. That looks really, it looks like it's really comfortable. That's I like I it know. because it has a hood that comes like right down to here. That's so, my style, man. Yeah, I, man. I might need Love to. Like, Nordstrom Rack, baby. Everything is like at least 50% off, which makes it normal price because Nordstrom is just so overpriced. But <laughs> they make you, th- oh, I'm getting a deal. Yeah, right? but you're this. not. <laughs> yeah. But I buy all my stuff there because the quality is really good and it lasts forever. So cool. I'm going to have to go check it out. That's go a- check it out. Go check it out. All right. We got, a, we got we got a ton to cover today. I don't know if we're going to get to it. Uh, I think this is How actually- many, Can you convert that to shekels, please? <laughs> I, I <laughs> convert what to shekels <laughs> okay okay um we i think we actually have two shows i think we actually have two shows in our show notes which is good because that means that this week and next week so for those who do not know passover is coming a week from friday at sundown is when the the sabbath starts so saturday is actually the sabbath of the passover Nissan the first day, right? First day of right. bread, which means that the Passover Seder is on the fourteenth of Nissan. Now, I've had several people write me recently, and and both of them, separate from each other, have have. I think it's a typo, but they've said uh, Passover's on the fifteenth of Adar. Uh, no, Passover's on the fifteenth of Nissan. More than one people have said that. Yeah, one, one, one two, one people. <laughs> uh, two people have said that. Anyway. A dar, they put it in a dar. It may, yeah, maybe they just were not because that's you know, mid a dar is when we when we celebrate Purim, right? That's I, where I make I make I make plenty of mistakes every day myself, so I'm not putting anybody down. But just for clarification, for anyone who might think that it's in a dar, Passover is actually a Nissan. Okay, uh, now right. that that's clarified, right. let's uh, let's ju- well, okay, before we do anything else, we got to we got to get all the important stuff out of the way. First of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna put up all of our call letters first, and then we'll uh, and then we will uh, and get our producers up there. We have new producers, and we are grateful to all of our producers. Before we get to that, two five three four six five thirty two zero five. It's two five three four six five thirty two zero five. Should we play the song? Let's play the song. Messiah matters. Wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call two five three four six five thirty two zero five. Okay. And then you can also shoot us an email, chagatorresource.com at chagatorresource.com. If you have any Passover needs, whether you need a Passover uh, traditional, a more traditional Passover Haggadah, or if you want a uh, Passover Haggadah that uh, is less traditional and more geared towards uh, followers of Yeshua, more Christian-esque, then you can go to torresource.com. Find all that kind of stuff there. Right. And there's there's a lot of different resources, tons and of if, articles. But if you're looking for actual ble- uh, lamb's blood, yeah, I, I knew there was a, I knew there was a Rob joke coming. 
I knew there was. I I, I was gonna say here comes a Rob joke. Uh, we love your we love your Rob jokes. Okay. <laughs> where did Caleb? Where would one go if if one had wanted lamb's blood? Like fresh. You know, that's not something that I uh, I regularly okay. shop for, but I'm going to guess okay. Amazon. Well, I'm okay. We'll be we'll, we're good. We can move on. Okay. I'm in a. I don't know why I'm being silly so much. Okay. Uh, you can also subscribe to this YouTube channel. It helps us and press the like button. That helps us too. Okay. And free subscription. As, yeah, free subscription. There you go. And as soon as that's done, here are our. Uh, that's not our subscribers. Here, uh, that's not our subscribers either. Here are our subscribers or our uh, producers. There are our producers. Thank you so much to all of our producers. Okay, let's jump in. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, it's going to be an awesome one. And we're going to just start out. It already is. It already is. We're going to start out with Matthew. We're Matthew. already there. <laughs> Rob's already there for sure. Um, Okay, Matthew says this. He says, "I am rather confused." And this is on a uh, this. So, I don't know if it's just the way that I clipped this video or not. But for those who are confused about the video that we did on the eighth, on the seventh day slash eighth day, um, like the significance. Basically, we were tying together the significance of eighth day, and we see that eighth day in the the eighth day of circumcision, and we see it in uh, Sukkot. And I was saying that um, circumcision shows is a sign. I believe that circumcision is a sign that the Messiah would come through uh, a virgin birth and that the eighth day of Sukkot shows that uh, they're linked because you, the eighth day represents eternity and we have eternity with God through uh, redemption, through redemption uh, of the Messiah who comes through the virgin birth. Anyway, that's how I was linking those. And uh, there were a lot of people confused on that. And I think it was just because of the way that I clipped the, uh, the, the, that specific clip from the episode. Um, I was not suggesting that the that the regular Sabbath day uh, is somehow done away with. And some people thought that. That's not at all what I was saying. I am a Seventh-day Sabbatarian all the way, and so is Rob. So anyway, with that said, Matthew uh, comments on this specific video that's on our YouTube channel. He says, I am rather confused. So there you go. Apparently people are confused. This discussion went, uh, went addressing the Eighth Day, uh, the Eighth Assembly, to Passover with circumcision seemingly be tied to both. When you say we, quote unquote, around the four minute mark, who are you referencing? If it is Israel, then does that include believers in Messiah with a Gentile background? This is this is a very good and uh, it, it, this is going to launch us into a lot of uh, discussion anyway. This uh, might be a third show that's now going to exactly. If if so, do they need to be circumcised in order to partake of the Passover feast, which signifies the virgin birth? In your view, if your position is Gentiles do not need to be circumcised, then are you saying? They do not need to be they do not need to bother with keeping the Passover or any other feast for that matter. Okay, I'm gonna give you some of I'm gonna like respond to this and then I'll let Rob jump in and then we'll go to some more. Uh, then we'll th this is gonna open the discussion to covenants and I think that this will probably be a main topic during this show. Is is back to the covenants? Um, okay, so here's my view, and this has been confusing for a lot of people. And so I know that we have a significant amount of new subscribers. Thank you, by the way, to everyone who has subscribed. But let's clarify this so that people understand our position. 
and uh, I'll give you my position first. I believe that the Torah is part of the covenant. And when I say the covenant, I mean that I think that Christ is the hub, the covenants, all of the covenants, uh, are the spokes to the wheel, okay? And we, the people of God, are the covenant members of God are the wheel itself. Okay, so each one of these spokes is a covenant. And I believe, I do not believe that the Mosaic covenant is a restating of the covenant of works. In fact, I think that it is actually part of the covenant of grace. And I do not believe that any of that covenant has been done away with. And this is why Rob and I are both uh, Seventh-day Sabbatarians. We both celebrate the feast because we don't see uh, these things being done away with. And so with that said, what does that say for Gentiles? Okay, so uh, one of the phenomenons that's happened in the Torah movement at large, and put any other label on it that you want, Hebrew roots, Messianic, full Bible, whatever, um, one of the things that's happened within the Torah movement is that everyone and their mother have all of a sudden discovered that they have Jewish blood, right? Oh, I just found out that I'm, I'm Jewish because my best friend, sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who's going with this kid <laughs> who has Jewish blood, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing that all of a sudden everyone can trace their, their lineage back to some distant relative who you know, is of the tribe of Benjamin or something. I don't buy it. Now, at the same time, with that said, my family, uh, you know, back in the 80s, my dad did a huge genealogical study to try to figure out whether where he came from. He found out that he did have Jewish blood. Now, whether or not there is a significant amount of Jewish blood in our in our stream, if you want to say that, uh, I, that's that's very questionable. The other thing is, is that uh, some Jews would say that uh, lineage only goes through the mother, not through the father. Okay, because of that, I've just I've just said, you know what? It doesn't matter to me. I'll just claim to be a Gentile, and that's fine with me. And uh, what does that say for me then in the Torah? Well, ultimately, I think that the strangers or the sojourners that attach themselves themselves to Israel become covenant members. And this is seen through the Passover. This, the entrance to this is in the Passover. If a Gentile wants to celebrate the Passover and wants a seat at the table, which is the, the feast of the nation, it's a, the feast of the covenant people, what has to happen? They have to be circumcised if they're a male. And there's a lot of spiritual significance to this. But if a person is then circumcised, even, even Paul says that they're obligated to the entire Torah. Right? So... It doesn't mean that they just are physically circumcised. They have to understand. It, it implies that they're coming with the right motive. They understand the covenant with Abraham, because Yeshua even says it in John seven. He says he's talking about circumcision. You know, he says, "I heal someone on the Shabbat. You'll circumcise someone on the Shabbat, so that the Torah is fulfilled." And he says, but it's not from Moses, it's actually from the fathers. So even Yeshua anchors circumcision, not with, yes, it's part of the Pesach, but Yeshua insists that we recognize that it's pertained to the covenant with Abraham. Yeah, okay, so uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking up a a reference here because this is actually going to help our, our conversation. Um, okay, so I, we're going to go to the chat room for this because this is a great comment, and I think that this will help us. Michael in the chat room says, I think the New Testament writings make clear physical circumcision is not required for ethnic Gentiles. 
and he says, e.g., Acts 15 and 1 Corinthians 7, 18. Let's, let's hash this out for just a second. And this isn't to pick on Michael in the chat room in any way, shape, or form. But this is a common belief within mainstream Christianity. And so... Uh, and it's, it's a common belief in Messianic Judaism. Exactly. And it's, it, it actually is used, it's mustered to support the idea of a bilateral ecclesiology like Mark Kinzer and... Right. FFOZ, you know, those, although they'll call it a, some other thing. But the idea is that that it's really a Talmudic worldview. Jews have so many commandments. If you're not that, then you only have, you know, you have lesser commandments. And that those are two different people groups and that God wants it to keep it that way. But Caleb and I are going to say, no, that's a map of the world that that we do not want to take back into the first century and and insist that the apostles are teaching that worldview. They're not. Oh, definitely not. But let's just go, let's see what we have here. Um, sorry. But my, while you're, while you're finding that, I'll just say the, the, uh, the coherent way to understand those texts by Paul and in Acts is, is, the, is that the Holy Spirit forbids, is, will never move somebody to force circumcision of an of an uncircumcised male you're right i they completely can, agree it, with that. circumcision is not to be forced or compelled that's so, the issue what i was looking for was ephesians 4 4 i think that this actually obliterates the notion that that there are different rules for different people in the body of god so that there are, are different rules for for jews and different rules for gentiles in fact i think that this is all over the place and it, i think it's all throughout scripture but this is a perfect example there is one body and one spirit there's not two, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is important because what are we baptized into? We're baptized into Christ, and into Christ, into that baptism means that we all, we all are uh, held to the same constitution. And what's the constitution? The Torah. We're all held to it. It's not different for this person down here than this person. A perfect example of this, and my father uses this example often, is when we, um, when we adopted my sisters. Okay, my for those who don't know, I have sisters uh, from Liberia, and when when we adopted my sisters, I was I don't know, fifteen or sixteen years old. When they came, I mean, they became part of our family. My dad didn't say, "Well, uh, you know." I told my son that he's not allowed to do this, but since you're not really part of the family, or since you're part of the family but you're adopted, you get different rules. You guys can stay up till 11 p.m. Right. and watch whatever you want, whereas Joshua and Caleb have to go to bed at 9, and they can't watch uh, any movies. <laughs> so Bobby, Bobby in the chat room says, what if one says one body, different parts? The feet touch the ground and the hands stay, uh, stay by the side. Okay, but you have to read the entire passage. He says one faith, one baptism. That has to go with the one body. And, and the faith that we are in is governed by the Torah. And the, the baptism that we are in, it, what was Israel baptized into? They were baptized into Moses because they didn't follow Christ in the wilderness. Second Corinthians, right? Right. But we're baptized... Metaphor, the metaphor of one body and many members, like Romans 12 is another place is not to say uh, full tolerance of any kind of behavior, like you can't judge, but rather it's to it's a metaphor for us to, to not be puffed up thinking we're more special than another believer. 
It's it's about thinking soberly and recognizing that God operates. Uh, he uses the whole body to accomplish bigger, more wonderful things than he would do just through one individual person. Um, I, I, I would, I that's would what argue, the many members has to do with. I would argue that Paul specifically, it, but all of the apostolic scriptures are fighting against this notion that the Gentiles are in somehow different or less or whatever than the Jews. Paul continues to go back to, in your seat, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Therefore, the Gentiles are covenant members. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of what he writes. Now, in Acts 15, let's hash this out, though, really quick. Uh, back to Michael's comment. He, he references Acts 15 and 1 Corinthians 7, 18, among others, he says. Well, Acts 15, are you... So the common, uh, the common understanding is that Paul and the Jerusalem Council do away with all these laws uh, for Gentiles because he, they give four and they say, we'll, we'll have the Gentiles keep these laws. Okay, does that mean that, that uh, a Gentile is allowed to lie? Does it mean that a Gentile is allowed to gossip? Is a, a Gentile allowed to steal? Is a Gentile allowed to offer false uh, gods uh, sacrifices? Obviously, right. Well, and doesn't Paul? I think in Ephesians also he he says honor. He cites the from the ten words: honor your father and your mother, and that this is a commandment with a promise. So he's totally going back, and he's expecting that these Gentiles are in fact obligated to that commandment which is one of the 10 right so yeah and it's not, and it's not one of the noahide laws in other words like honor your father and mother and it will be well with you and you're going to live long on the earth that's not a in the rabbinic worldview that's not a commandment for gentiles that's for israel now now rabbis would say sure you know it's good for gentiles to honor their parents yeah sure that's a good thing but it's not torah from sinai in their ver- for the gentiles in the rabbinic worldview, but in the apostolic worldview, it's for believers in Yeshua. Absolutely. Why does Here, why does Paul give why does Paul give the fruit of the spirit? If if the Gentiles only have four laws as given in Acts fifteen, then why why would Paul say anything about the fruit of the spirit? That that has right, nothing to right. do with those those four laws. And why and and another issue, and, and your father's written on this too, is is why did Paul circumcise Timothy? The I, the the this is the, what we have to recognize is that the the exemplary male body in the in creation, the exemplary male body that worships the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is circumcised in heart and the flesh, both. Well, yeah, okay, hang on just a sec, but th- this is a great point. And the reason why is because Michael, he also brought up, Michael, he also brought up uh, 718, 1 Corinthians 718. So let's read this real quick and let's let's start back. Uh, yeah, yeah. watch your translations on this one, but go ahead. Okay, he says, <clears throat> starting in 717, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the, in the, in all the ecclesia. Was anyone at that time of his call already circumcised. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was we, a, need to pause. we need to deposit. We got to take it one bit at a time. Okay. <clears throat> this is the, what's, what's the, uh, who is David Rudolph? So there's a messianic quote rabbi called David Rudolph. He did his dissertation, I think on this passage or, or, or he's written on it. The Paul's rule. The first one here is talking about it's in the, the perfect tense, perfect passive, who had been circumcised as an adult, as a Gentile convert. So that is, so that first statement there is referring to not 
not Jews who were born and circumcised on the eighth day. It's talking about people who came and been proselyted into some Jewish world, and then subsequent to that came to faith in Messiah. And anyone who anyone who uh, needs needs clarif- like needs receipts on that, look at look at the next verse. Look at seven nineteen. Before we get there, let's read the rest of this verse. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Uh, clearly here, Paul, and we'll see in 19, that clearly here, Paul, is not talking about the physical act of circumcision. He's right. talking about a conversion process. How do we know that? Because of 19. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Right, because because the words here in Greek, akrobustia, is really means foreskin, not uncircumcision. And peritome is is the group, the people who are of the peritome. It's like they are a kind of Jewish sect, probably allied with zealous Pharisees, who are insisting that people join their club in order to be reckoned as righteous among them and in their advertisement. Right. To God. So, and the but, gospel cuts right through that and says, no, the tradi- you're elevating the traditions of men, that new creation is about God's work by the Holy Spirit on the heart of an individual, whether they are Jewish or Gentile in background, does not matter. It's, it is the, the, the regeneration of the, of the heart of an individual who now cries, Abba, Father, and right. seeks to grow in love of God, first and foremost of all things, and and all the commandments following from that, as a as a new creation, as a uh, a soul belonging to the the Messiah, belonging well, to the King of Israel. Here's a question that I'd like to ask Michael in the chat room, and uh, the, I'm not picking, I'm not trying to pick on you, but at the same time, you're the one who who has has uh, held this. So let let me ask you a question: Is the Abrahamic covenant f- completely fulfilled? In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, people can go either way on this. Those who believe in uh, in post mill are going to say, "No, obviously, it's not fulfilled because the church has to continue to uh, has to continue to evangelize the rest of the nations until enough of the kingdom has come that the Messiah comes back." Right. So, so right there, there's an is- inconsistency, and the reason why is because the Abrahamic covenant. If you think that the Abrahamic, uh, Abrahamic covenant has been completely fulfilled, that is, all the nations have been evangelized, then and we no longer have to do that, okay, then we can have a different conversation. But if you believe that the Abrahamic covenant continues to be fulfilled, it's like a cup being filled up. We continue to fulfill it as we go and evangelize the nations. If that's what you believe, then the mark of circumcision still applies today, obviously, no matter what. No matter what you believe about the the Mosaic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant is about the Messiah uh, going and and salvation coming to the nations. And so, obviously, Paul can't be saying that this is done away with. It's one story. It's one tree. Uh, Yes. Anyway, I would, I mean, I, I... I would challenge anyone who says that that physical circumcision has been done away with. And this actually goes into our, you know, more conversations here. And the reason why is because, well, first let's talk about, you know, back to our conversation about 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11. This is really where the entire conversation comes from. Rob and I were talking about whether or not, okay, first of all, the church has said that from 1 Corinthians 11, they've said that they are, that a person is not allowed to partake in the communion be, unless they're a believer. 
Now, they've taken circumcision out of this, and they've, they've basically said, unless you're baptized, right? And, and uh, But they said, let a person in, uh, what do you call it, search, you know, search your own heart. Yeah. Like, in other words, there is a stand, the standard is, you know, you, they're going to say, don't do it un, unworthily. I mean, you got to take this seriously. Yeah. But the, but the point is, is that the church has used this and, and they've, the, ba- the baptism has replaced circumcision. And in my opinion, that is a huge, huge miss. It's a misstep in understanding the different symbols. The symbol of circumcision is a different symbol than the symbol of baptism. And so when, when the mainstream Christian church says, well, the baptism replaces circumcision, they, what they're saying is that these things both represent the same thing. They both mean the same thing. They both have the same picture, but they don't. So that's number one. But number two, okay, well, let's take this into our conversation about, let's, let's do a little pretending here. Let's pretend for a few seconds that 1 Corinthians 11 is talking about the Passover. And exclusively the Passover. It's not talking about any communion service, and it's not talking about uh, love meals or fellowship meals that the congregation, the ecclesia may be having. If that's the case, then should we not allow uncircumcised Gentiles to uh, partake in our Passover Seder? And one of the reasons that I have a problem with this is because, number one, the Corinthians did not have the Passover lamb. So the commandment is that a person must be circumcised to partake in the sacrifice of the Passover. Well, to be fair, no no diaspora synagogue community had a Passover lamb. Right? Yes, I completely agree with you. Okay, anyway, so where's what's your well, hang on. Mike, Michael in the chat room says, personally, I think it has not, at some level, as far as salvation goes, I think text is clear. It is not required. No commandment is required for salvation, Michael. Come on. We have never said that. That's, uh, yeah, no, that's that's required it is not a word used in. We're, required is a word that we're bringing to the conversation. Yeah. Where it's, there's no text that says circumcision is not required. Let, that's, let, that's a, let's that ask, is a uh, mischaracterization. Let's of ask this, qu- in, let's in ask this question though. Let's ask this question. Michael, is it required for salvation that a man not cheat on his wife? Is it required for salvation that a man not steal? Is it required for, so I could go on and on and on and on and on. The point is, is we have never said that, that uh, circumcision is required for salvation. That would be works by, that would be salvation by works. But, but if the implication is other other works are required, right? But circumcision is somehow got off the exempt from the list. Yeah, that would be that. That's not a, a coherent theology. Yep. Yep. So the question back is: What is what does the what is the exemplar? The way I put it, the exemplary male body in all of Scripture. Is a for is a circumcised heart and in the flesh, male body. There's the worship that is that has access to to God's holiness and the worship of the God of Israel. But the second fact is that in this first uh, century, you had Jews. Well, even in the the Second Temple era, generally under the Maccabees, they went and would force circumcise mass populations. 
think of the trauma. Like, let's say you are the subjected people. Right. And, and the Jewish king, a Maccabean king, who's not even really a king. He's a priest, but they've, they've uh, arrogated to themselves kinghood and come in and they force circumcise and say, now you are Judeans and you owe us tax money and revenue. That's a, that is a trauma. That's not, that's not, that's not someone becoming circumcised out of a new heart. The same as it. that's not the faith of Abraham. Abraham had faith was reckoned as righteous and in that context received circumcision as a sign of that. That's very different than someone, than a, 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 intimidating coercive force coming and taking a male body and doing that. I mean, that's what's, that's what we're up against. It's in the first century is this kind of clash of what is the motive, but see what's happened in the church. It's been taken to mean, Oh, it's not required. It's just not required. And what that does that, that sweeps under the rug, whole swaths of important, knowledge and understanding with respect to the scripture and what the scripture as a whole is is setting forth for us. The John 17 Project uh, quotes Tozer in the chat room. This is a great quote by Tozer, by the way. Tozer says, to avoid the error of salvation by works, we have made the opposite error of salvation without obedience. Obedience is not legalism. Tozer's the dude, man. Exactly. Anyway, I okay, like so let's go back to um, let's go back to this comment by Matthew. We're we've been all over the place, but that's totally fine. If you're uh, so, uh, if so, do they need to be circumcised in order to partake of the Passover feast, which signifies? Yeah, the if you're in Jeru- if you're in Jerusalem, if you're in Jerusalem and, par- and participating with a with a uh, with a sacrifice, yes, but no. Well, no, but I would say this: Do you think? That Yeshua's any of his disciples could have been uncircumcised at the the Last Supper? No, I don't think so. No, no. But I believe they were all circumcised as young boys, right? As as infants. So it wasn't an it it wasn't like an issue. Let's finish this up. If your position is Gentiles do not need to be circumcised, then are I believe that Gentiles who are believers and want and come into covenant relationship with God, uh, if they have truly a changed heart and they are uncircumcised in the flesh, I believe that they should uh, consider being circumcised in the flesh to show their to show that they have become covenant members uh, according to the Torah. That's what I believe. If your position is Gentiles do not need to be circumcised, then you are saying they do not need to bother with keeping the Passover. Or any other feast, for that matter. I think that Gentiles should, Gentiles who become covenant members should keep the feast and the Sabbath. Absolutely, as every believer should. Let's move on, uh, and this actually could could move into uh, other talks of the covenant as well, because I think that one of the major missteps within the mainstream Christian church is actually a misunderstanding of covenant, and not just. And in a misunderstanding of how covenants are administered, uh, in particularly, obviously, the, the Mosaic Covenant. But the fact that uh, people think that the New Covenant now abrogates or does away with the what they call the Old Covenant, which they're going to say is the Old Testament or the Mosaic Covenant, then 
Uh, I mean, this this shows, and honestly, we see things like uh, infant baptism coming in and being a huge debate. But the the reason infant baptism is a huge debate is because people believe that infant baptism replaces circumcision. Once again, I think that this is a misunderstanding of the covenant symbols. Okay, let's go to Corey. Corey, uh, student at Torah Resource Institute, by the way, uh, he has two comments. One is a comment, and then one is a question. So let's go to the comment first, because I think this will actually help. He says, I saw some comment ask, where is artos used in reference toward unleavened bread in the Septuagint? You can find reference for that in Deuteronomy 16.3, artan kakoseos, bread of affliction. You know, perhaps this is another sticking point. By the way, my Greek pronunciation is atrocious. I, I apologize. Oh, Caleb, it was great. Which you might have said already. To show that Yeshua's deity is highlighted, in addition to making the day a memorial unto Yeshua, that is uh, what the bread represents in connection to the Moed. I think this is a great comment. So the, he actually poses this as a question. You know, perhaps this is another sticking point. Uh, to show that Yeshua's deity is highlighted in addition to making the day a memorial to unto Yeshua. That is, what the bread represents in connection to the Moed. Yeah, okay. Um, so let's go to his to his question now. He says, Shalom, Caleb. I know we are commanded to have a Mikra Kodesh on the 15th day of the month of Nisan. Would you guys explain why in Deuteronomy 16.7, we are told that the, the next morning after eating the Pesach lamb, we are to turn and go to our tents. If we are supposed to gather on that day, why are we told also to go to our tents? Thank you. Let's go to Deuteronomy uh, 16.7. And this is what it says. Oh, did I take it down? I did take it down. Okay. Deuteronomy 16. Seven. Oops, sorry. Okay, this is what it says. So it's seven and following. Well, um, let's start in five. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice sacrifice within any of your own towns that the Lord your God is giving you. But at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it, there you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt. Okay, so what is happening here? We're, we do have a shift we have a shift in the law of the Passover, and that is that the Passover lamb is now, obviously, they, the, the initial Passover lamb is slaughtered in Egypt, right, and put on the doorpost. There is question on whether or not the, uh, the uh, Israelites who came out of Egypt celebrated the Passover. I don't believe they did. Right? Because when they come in, in Joshua 1, when they come into the land, what happens? Moses circumcises all, or is it Joshua? One of them Joshua. circumcises. Moses Joshua. is dead. But, yeah, Moses yeah. is dead by this point. Joshua circumcises all of the, the younger generation, which means that they... And re- then they keep Passover. And yeah. then they keep Passover. And so really, this is not a new command to only slaughter the Passover lamb in the land. The initial Passover is slaughtered in, the, in, in Egypt, and then the memorial of it, the memory of it, is always done in Israel. And it's always done where the Lord says he's going to place his name. Well, it's it's tough to, in numbers, it says that they kept the Passover, and then there were people that uh, were disqualified from participating. And so in numbers, we learned, this is in the wilderness, that they can celebrate it in the second month, and they keep all the, there's a set of the commandments that they can keep, and it's still reckoned as a keeping of the Passover, as the memorial meal, but it's been displaced through 
um, ineligibility to participate in the actual true commandment. So, uh, but but it's true that that it you know when we're reading in the the wilderness journey, it really fast forwards through those forty years, right. and we're not told, you know their fee schedule every year. It, it's more taking us through the 40 years in a montage of the rebellious hearts. Right. Right. They complained again, and then they complained again, and then they complained again. But I would argue that since their children are not circumcised, and you had to be circumcised to participate, they uh, they are not keeping the Passover, because if they were, they would be circumcising their children to, to celebrate that feast. Anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. That's, that's a good point. Um, so the, here's, here's the passage in question. Uh, oh wait, hang on. So anyway, um, God tells them when they come into land, you're only allowed to do this in one place. And where is that place? Ultimately it's going to be in Jerusalem on the temple Mount, right? You're only allowed to slaughter the, the, the Passover lamb there. Uh, 16:7 then, and you shall cook it and eat it in the place that the Lord, your God will choose. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. So this is the question. Why turn and go to your tents for six days? You shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord in the first century. The temple was not big enough to accommodate all the people who showed up. So what did they do? They actually, according to Josephus and other sources, they actually said that all of Jerusalem was going to count as the temple. They they attempted to purify the entire in the entirety of Jerusalem, and if you were going to come into Jerusalem, you had to be ritually clean. And so, I think that Yeshua actually we see Yeshua actually adhere to this. How is that? Well, we see him say, "Go and prepare the Pascha," which his disciples do. And then where do they? Then what do they do? They come to the upper room, so they're not they bring at the, it back. Yeah, yeah they they're not at the Temple Mount back. anymore. What uh, what sixteen seven is saying in Deuteronomy is that you're allowed to eat the Passover lamb, but you don't have to stay in at the Temple Mount for the entire seven day festival. After that, you're allowed to go back to your tent. You're allowed to go back to your own place. In other words, the sacrifice and that and the the pass the the Passover seder or the Passover meal that happens from the 14th going into the 15th is the only time that you have to, that this, uh, this sacrifice has to be done and kept in the place that it, it's going to be. The rest of the festival can be kept in your own places. But what is he specific about? Leaven ha- can't be found anywhere in your, in your place. Does that make sense? All right. Anything else on that? Nope. Right. He says no. Did we address okay. everything that Corey had... Mentioned. I believe we did, yeah. Cool. Um, but I forgot. Yeah, that Artos is just to back to just to touch on that. That's such an important thing for people to remember is that the Greek, uh, ancient Greek, which is before the first century, right? Artos was used by Greek speaking Jews. It did not mean that it uh, has leaven in it. But I've seen so many people in the messianic realm. Right with this banner that they're saying, oh, it wasn't the Passover meal. And I can prove it because this word artos in the Greek name, funny, because no person, teacher in the Messianic room that I've, realm that I've ever heard teach that actually ever studied Greek. Right. <laughs> but they're telling people the Greek word here. And it's like, this is just, yeah, an important point. So thanks, Corey, for bringing that back up. Okay. So um, we have... To, let's do this one. Um, yeah, let's do. So this is a. This comment was actually almost two two minutes long. So I've cut it down a little bit, but it's still a minute and fifty one seconds. There's actually like three different parts to this. 
And so I want to, we'll, we'll stop this a couple of times and, and uh, talk about it. I'm listening to your most recent podcast on Passover and getting into 1 Corinthians 11 and all of this. I 100% agree that the Lord's Supper was instituted at Passover. Okay, hang on. Let's pause right here. By the way, this is from Devin, a uh, new listener, he says at the beginning of his message. Um, cool. So, hey, Devin. I think that this came, I think that this was uh, brought, uh, this comment was made after show uh, 281. Uh, maybe 280. Anyway, it was when Rob and I talked about 1 Corinthians 11. The next week, I did a lot of clarification. You mean 380? Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. 381. Okay, yeah, 280, yeah, yeah. that'd be like yeah, yeah. That'd be a long ago. time ago. 381. Um, My the, memory's not that good. <laughs> the next show I did by myself, and I did that because there was a lot of confusion on that. Uh, people thought that I was I was claiming that I believe that uh, Christ instituted communion at the Last Supper. I do not believe that. Just I, I want to re-clarify this again. I do not believe that that as the church celebrates communion or the Eucharist or however you want to say it, I do not believe that that was ever instituted by Christ. I believe that Christ uh, takes the Passover and says it was a memorial of coming out of Egypt, but now it's a memorial of what I'm doing on the cross. So he shifts the, fo- the, the focus of the, of the festival, but I don't believe that he instituted anything new. Now, some are going to say, well, what about the institution of the New Covenant? We'll get to that in just a second. The issue I had in studying it was Jesus took wine along with bread at the Passover meal on which the Lord's Supper was instituted. My question that I kept coming back to was, where is the wine element coming from? There has to be a footprint somewhere in the Torah that he would be pulling off of in making this New Covenant. And as I studied, um, okay, let's let's stop here for a few seconds. Um, so this is actually a, a good observation, and the reason why is because what I I came at it a little differently in my studies. What I wanted to know is where where is the cup coming from? And when I say that, what I mean is I don't think it necessarily has to come from Torah, but at what point was this instituted as a tradition? In other words, at what point did it start to represent something? Because we don't have common meals or even uh, commandments within the Torah or within any scripture to have a cup at a meal until we get to this specific area. But it seems as though it's already instituted. And I think that the answer is, is that wine had become a symbol of sanctification, setting something apart. People blessed wine. We see this at Qumran. Uh, they started their meals with wine. This is seen all throughout Roman culture. You see yeah. at the wedding feast in at the wedding at Cana. Exactly. When the expectation was that there would be good wine as part of the celebration, which in fact is a in the Aramaic Kiddushin is the sanctification is the word for marriage. Just a footnote there. Right. Absolutely. But, but the question is, is when does it come into the, to the Passover meal? And the thing is, is that I think it's more cultural than anything. In other words, we never have a command in the Torah to, uh, to celebrate, to, to start any kind of a meal with a, with a cup of wine. Now, by the time Yeshua does this, it's clearly a staple, not only of Roman dapenons, okay, but it's also a staple of 
date nons in general for Jews and for the Gentiles. So within Jewish culture, wine is clearly a symbol of joy and it sets apart it's it's what it's how they sanctify a day or a ceremonial time. Okay? So with all of that said, I I I understand what uh what Devin is attempting to do here and I appreciate that in that I think that we can uh, take some of the temple elements and we can see how they point to Christ. But I think that, and we're going we're gonna to see this in a few seconds, I think that we're going to get into some major hot water if we attempt to relate the communion back to the temple service. I'll tell you why in a few seconds. Where I kept coming back to was the table of presence in the tabernacle and the temple. In the tabernacle and temple, we see this representative triangle with the Ark of the Covenant representing the Father, the menorah representing the Spirit, and then we have the table of showbread or the table of presence representing the Son. We have the bread and wine on that table that was removed once a week by the priests and refreshed, but the bread was for the priests. That Jesus was not only addressing the Passover meal and instituting communion, but I think he was pulling off of more elements in the tabernacle and temple worship for the institution of what we now call communion or the Lord's Supper that have tremendous impact on understanding a lot of what was going on uh, in the tabernacle and temple worship. Okay, there's a couple of issues that can I, I say. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. I, I appreciate it's Devin. Thanks, Devin, for the the thorough. Obviously, you've been giving this a lot of thought, and and it, it, and you're giving gravity to the text and and importance to what Yeshua is doing. So I, I think we're all on the same page there. But what what's not coming across is whether there's recognition that if we would be had a little, you know, could go in and kind of uh, virtually pop in on any Passover Seder that same night, you're going right. to see bread and wine. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it, that's it, exactly it, what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeshua is not saying, hey, I'm, we're going to have wine. Hey, we're going to have uh, bread. We're going to do some new, we're going to do some new ceremonial aspects yeah, here and so, they're going to have so great implications. The elements are all, and I think Caleb kind of was touching on this earlier today was that these these elements were already entrenched, entrained in, in the uh, along with the reclining, right? The reclining at the table, right? These are these are uh, uh, kind of a, the solidified cultural um, practices. Now, did every Jewish family or rabbi with his disciples did they all do it exactly the same way? No, but I think that. Most of the time, you're going to find the wine and the bread, and they're all sitting at a table, and they're sharing this meal while they're rehearsing or retelling, remembering the Exodus story, the story of redemption. I, I completely agree with you. I think that that uh, uh, Devin's uh, uh, reference of you know the symbolism that he's finding in the temple, I think th- that's great. 
but I, I don't think that this, you know, Yeshua is not instituting something new in terms of saying, hey, I'm going to do something that is, is out, of, out of place here. The other thing is, is that as soon as you attempt to now associate the temple service with, let's just say, communion, I would say, yeah, let's say communion, okay? So let's say that there's this new institution, because this is exactly what the church said. There's this new institution, and it relates to the temple service. And what do they do? They say, "Well, Christ is new, a sacri- pri- new priesthood." Yeah, the new priesthood, and this is the and this is a, a sacrifice that is done every time we take communion. In other words, you, you you run into some real sticky water as soon as you try to say that, that that everything is associated with the temple, because basically what you have is you have this new institution of priesthood of uh, you know now we're getting into issues of transubstantiation. Um, I I mean I just don't. I just do not think that Yeshua institutes uh, the Eucharist or the communion at at uh, in Matthew. I'm sorry, in Luke 22. And I just here, don't. Here, if I may also talk about, we don't have to go into the Catholic side. We can go look at the first century Pharisaic side, where Jacob Neuster, you know, for better or for worse, at least in this case, I agree that the Pharisaic table fellowship was likely map, uh, an attempt to map the priestly. Uh, kind of holiness and sanctity of, of the meal, et cetera, on the, the person's home at their own table. And what they did is they then had associated traditions of men that rose up, such as the hand washing and the declaration of something being a korban, like, right. um, you know, it, that someone could offer a offering saying, you know, yeah, I have this lamb at home and i'm gonna it's i'm declaring it a korban as an offering and that then that person is obligated it's it's to fulfill that even without respect to his obligations to his parents Uh, and so and and the idea of judging other jews and not permitting them to table fellowship unless they do these other things where did they get that i think neustner was right on when he said they were trying to take conceptions of holy space, conception of, of a special fellowship, a meal that we see in the, the priesthood, and to map that into the home of the Pharisee who wanted to have a sense of holiness marked apart in his, around his table. He wanted to watch who was going to come to his table. And, and so you could see how these things started loosely, maybe, as a, yeah, it's kind of like this, you know, when we get together, it's kind of like a holy meal. So a little bit of that's okay, right? I mean, you could say, yeah, but, but you'd always want to say, but it's not, it's not, you know, yes, you could say we're, we're, we're having fellowship. We're all, we're going to hear some scripture. We're going to eat together and there's a unity involved. But when all of a sudden that tradition then becomes crystallized, whereby other Jews can be judged or, and, or, or excluded on the basis of traditions of men, that's that's the nastiness of the leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees, you know. And so, um, so we want to be careful just that 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 this mapping—I use the word mapping—or the you know the overlaying or the insistence that that there, that everything at the Lord's Supper comes from the the priestly service. We're kind of doing the same thing that the Pharisees were doing. We're trying to make a similar insistence. And 
it's more, in my view, it's more complicated than that. There's, there's more that we need to uh, pay attention to. So uh, in the chat room, Blessed One says, Colossians 2.16, let no man judge you in respect to the holy day or uh, of the new moon or of the Sabbath. And actually Nelda Bell uh, wrote in and said, hello again, my husband Jim was asking about Colossians 2.16. Am I right that Paul is speaking to calendar issues and also to eating with Gentiles, food that could have been offered to idols? Or is this something else? This is something else. Uh, in fact, for blessed for the blessed one in the uh, ch- chat room, um, there's multiple problems that you're going to run into trying to say that this has to do with uh, with with just the, the festivals and or kosher laws, which is what a lot of people in the mainstream church do uh, attempt to do. There is only one uh, Bible scholar that I could find, and I studied this quite a bit. Uh, there's only one commentary from a Christian scholar that I could find who said that this wa- uh, that uh, Colossians 2.16 is associated to uh, kosher laws and the festivals, and that was John MacArthur. All the rest say, no, this isn't talking about this. This is talking about something different. And if you read the context, it's pretty clear that he, that Paul is most likely talking to, and when I say most likely, he's obviously talking to some group. He's talking to some heresy that has come in. And most, almost all scholars will agree that it's some form of Gnosticism, whether it's a new Christian Gnosticism, whether it's a Jewish Gnosticism, that's kind of up in the air. But the point is, is that it's, it's most likely a form of Gnosticism and the belief that, uh, that extreme fasting would bring visions and that these visions would show uh, the, inner, uh, the inner sanctuary of the heavenly temple and that we would be able to see how the, the angels worshipped and that we would be able to then have a better form of worship and that these people were coming in and disrupting the Colossian community. The, the idea that this is talking about kosher laws and, uh, and the festivals, I'm sorry, it's, it just can't be supported by, by the context. And that's not just coming from a pronomian perspective. That's coming from mainstream Christian scholars. So when people try to use this, uh, this as uh, some kind of a, uh, a verse to say, oh, you don't have to keep Passover anymore, clearly this verse is not talking about that. Th- that's a misappropriation of this verse and a misappropriation of what Paul is attempting to do with the Colossians in this specific instance. We're coming to the end of our time. we got a lot to talk about still next week. Um, and uh, so that's something that we're going to do. We're going to continue this conversation. We're going to talk more about covenants. We're going to talk more about the festivals. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, yeah, all of that kind of good stuff. So if you have questions or comments that you want to uh, be addressed in our next show, uh, which will be the show uh, two days before Nissan 14 and the Passover meal, uh, then please go ahead and either give us a call, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Or you can shoot us an email, cheg at torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. We do appreciate all of the uh, communication that we get from people, whether it is people telling us that we are just totally off our rocker, have no clue what we're talking about, or if it's people saying, yes, we totally agree with you, or if it's questions. And all of those comments usually go in some form into shaping what we talk about and how we talk about them. And so please uh, consider sending us some kind of communication and let us know what you think about these uh, recent conversations that we've been having on Messiah Matters. I think I think this is what, the third show? Fourth show. Fourth show that we've had uh, in terms of kind of talking about... Um, 
talking about 1 Corinthians 11, Luke 22, and uh, communion slash Passover, those kind of issues, and then love meals or fellowship meals as well. Anything else that you want to say before we go here, uh, Rob? No, no. Just, uh, you know, the most important thing right now, if you are going to, if you're planning on celebrating Passover, is cleaning the leaven out of your heart. That's that, right. that means taking extra time, more time than normal to, to be in the word, to have some solitary time in prayer and, and spiritual reflection on your values. Like, like you look at an inventory of your behavior. How do you spend your time? How, how important is God's word to you? Um, how important is your prayer life? If you're married, think about your relationship with your wife. If you've got, if, you know, if you're single, but you, your, your relationship to friends, you know, all, all these things, you want to reflect on all these things. And not that, not that you need to do this now, other than we, we always should be mindful of this sort of thing, but this is a season where by God's wisdom, he's set this out as a specific time to do this kind of inventory of the heart. And remember, it's your, your father sees this, what's in secret. He knows you're, you're, it's not like you're hiding from him. It's not like he's going to learn anything, right? You're going to learn something about yourself. That's what this is about. And so, you know, you've still got a, a week and a half or so here uh, before Pesach to, to really uh, prepare. So that, that's it. Love it. All right, guys, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. 